Hello, and welcome to another episode of the Post Ride Cafe. I'm Sam. This is Aaron. And welcome to episode 17. How you doing? Not bad. Yeah. My my legs hurt, man. I'm not yeah. going to say I'm tired today, but my legs hurt. like Kind of like the front like shin area. Hmm. I don't know. It hurt a little bit like that yesterday, and then obviously yeah. I was like, I'm going to go do a full ride today, too, because it's the weekend. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Uh, we had... Um, I was just too tired this morning. I had some stuff to get done anyway, but... I just didn't want to get up. House stuff, man. It hits you every every week, every day. Every single week. It's a <laughs> theme on the show. My housework. No, it's something I signed up for. I'm not uh, upset. It's just a reality. I mean, I'm at least reaping the benefits of your housework. It's true. Nice little pool action. Yeah, we had a little uh, barbecue sort of get-together yesterday. You know, keeping it uh, low-key. There's only a couple people. But, uh, yeah, not too bad. It was yeah. nice to have people over. Very enjoyable. Yeah. A little cold. Yeah, well, I mean, the pool was cold, but if you have a pool shirt, I don't know if you know about those. Pool shirt, no. So when you get out of the pool, you have, like, a shirt just because of the temperature difference, mm. and just, like, it makes it really comfortable. Huh. Yeah, you know, that was the first time I'd seen a pool shirt. I, I didn't know about this. Everyone else had one. <laughs> no idea. Well, I'm used to people putting on, like, a shirt over themselves because they're, like, embarrassed or, like, whatever, and they wear a shirt in the pool. But that just looks weird because you get out and all it just like sucks to your body like a vacuum. No, no, this is like a button up and like it's nice and you can leave it open so you have like that super you know Hawaii Five O kind of look. Yeah, and... I totally screwed it up. Yeah, I went and like I don't have any of these pool shirts. <laughs> it's like a thin H and M shirt and like I just don't have the body for that. They're never long enough. And uh, yeah, it's like I just grabbed the crappiest button up I had and it was too dressy apparently. Well, it was a dress shirt. And it was yeah. long sleeves. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, my pool shirt, man. Yeah. It was good. Anyway, how can people find us, man? Yeah, they can get us on the Post Ride Cafe on Instagram and Post Ride Cafe on Twitter. Yeah. And uh, working on a few videos. I got one short one up uh, and still working on one from this week uh, from our, our ride that we did this week and still a Flagstaff one, but... Just learning, but it's coming together. So you you can find that last one. I believe it's on Twitter. So cool. Yeah, I guess you, you're finding out that editing stuff takes a little time. I mean, video editing takes a little time. I don't know about audio editing. Audio editing <laughs> is taking me some time, but probably not as much as a video. But I also have you know thirty, forty, fifty minutes to edit. So that's that true. I have a, a lot of free time at home. So. That's true. Anyway, I'm glad to see you're doing some editing. No, I think they're pretty cool. I think that'll really help. Uh, especially when we're talking to people who don't know a specific climb or just being able to see what Arizona has to offer as far as views. I mean, I think it's just super cool. Well, yeah, I think a big thing, too, is like it's hard to kind of hard to find climbing here in comparison to some places because they don't have those really long climbs. But there are some if you're just looking for a hard, like steep climb. I feel like there's some of the best out out here. I guess I'm comparing it to some stuff in Colorado and. It's steep, just as steep or steeper, just much shorter. Yeah. So you kind of have to hit them, but it also changes the way that you're riding, and you, and I don't know, it kind of becomes harder in a way because everybody's hitting those short climbs really hard rather than having to pace it out as much. Yeah, definitely. Well, let's get into our Strava stats of the week. Stats, dude. Dude, I was thinking we need to record like a an intro for this segment so I can just plop out the audio of like, some sort of pre-recorded Strava Stats of the Week like thing. I feel like there should be a background music and 
Probably. I think some sort of like sledgehammer breaking a rock <laughs> or a wall or something. I was thinking like the ESPN thing was like, do-do-do, do-do-do, and then like yeah. stats of the week. Mm -hmm. Yeah, we need some uh, Strava stats of the week theme music. We'll get on it. Dude, I got a xylophone. I'll ding, dong. You know, we'll make we, something. We need lots of theme music, some theme and everything. It's but. true. We're working on the introduction. <laughs> we're getting there, slowly but surely. Um, you know, we just don't want to pay any money. So <laughs> yeah. we're having to do it all by ourselves. But we're, what were you doing this week? Yeah, so I got in a couple rides, uh, 65 miles and just under 3,000 feet. Kind of a lame week for me. I wanted to ride multiple times, but there was always something that came up after work. Either I showed up from I showed up from work and all of a sudden, you know, her father's here with his wife and they're all wanting to go swimming and get in the pool and like so I hung out and went in the pool and so I didn't get to ride, which is fine. I don't see him very often, so it's just it is what it is. And then the next day, uh, my refrigerator went out, and so I had to like figure out a solution. And I fixed the refrigerator and kind of limped it along. And then I had some problems with my pool, and so I had to fix those. And so a couple days this week, I just didn't get to ride like I planned. So mm. hoping to get that you know controversial uh, third ride in my case. I can never seem to get it. Yeah, man. Yeah. I I think you need it. I do. <laughs> I really do. Two days a week is really hard. Like, we always joke, like, one easy ride and then one kick my ass ride. Is <laughs> yeah. Not a recipe for success. You need something in between, though. I, I do. I really need that third ride, really gives you a little bit of stability and, and you can grow. Two, it's really just killing me. Yeah. Well, normal week for me. I was kind of dropped a little bit last week, but this week felt pretty good. Uh, 188 miles and 5,400 feet trying to get that elusive 200 miles it's just kind of hard too i was like and i also don't want to overwork myself and it's getting hotter now mm -hmm. and so you're kind of have limited time but it, it's also just harder on your body and i was like i just don't really feel like pushing that that hard yeah well i think for us one of the things that we you know we haven't talked about but we usually on a ride can go to a gas station and fill up right oh yeah and right thing. now it's you're not allowed to use cups. You have to use new cups, and or you can't use the fountain or something. So, it's a lot harder to find places to fuel and refuel. And so we've kind of limited ourselves to like, how long can I go with the two bottles I have? Yeah, water becomes a much bigger issue for us out here when when it's hot. Well, yeah. Now we're easily cresting a hundred pretty frequently. Now we're in the high nineties, pretty much guaranteed from this point forward. So, yeah. This morning I went. I just had enough. And I was just under 40 miles, and I could have probably drank more, but yeah, just barely enough with, with two bottles. Pro tip, uh, your cycling jersey does have three slots in the back, four <laughs> water bottles. Well, I got my pump in there, and uh, yeah. water bottles aren't arrow. So. That's true. I just want to get, I know you don't like them, but those little tri ones in the back. I know you do. You just don't use it. Well, yeah, yeah. yeah. I'm just saying you can yeah. use it. I, maybe. I'm and, not uh, too, obviously. Yeah, because I, I, dude, I suck down water like it's going out of style. Every 10, every 10 miles, I pretty much drink a whole bottle. Yeah, and you got the, the big boy bottles. I, oh, yeah, 25 I the, ounce or the whatever. The little arrow bottles. Yeah, full 25 ounces, and I drink one every 10 miles. <laughs> it seems is about my average, 10 to, 10 to 12. I just suck them down, man. Yeah. Not sure. Well. Ride of the week, man. Yeah, well. For me, I was going to say it had to be yesterday's ride. Yeah, it was pretty much my ride as well. Like, it's getting to the point where, like, my ride of the week is just, like, I only rode once. And it's like, it feels like I don't really have a lot of options on my ride of the week. But this one in particular, I had, I just felt really good. Unfortunately, 
spoiler alert, I thought I was going to KOM this segment that I've been kind of working towards. Oh, man. And uh, my good friend Aaron here had uh, been a great domestique, and I appreciated all his work, and apparently I didn't get it, so. I mean, I will say I'll like, I mean, I'm still going to give you shit, regardless. Of course. That always. But it was weird, and like looking at, well, one, I felt like you were right on my wheel at the start of it, and then you 100% finished several seconds in front of me because I like led you out, then I backed off, and I have a better time, yeah. a second faster than you that day, which makes yeah. no sense. And then if you look at the, um, the speed on, like if you look at Strava, it goes from 27 drops to 23 and then pretty quickly just picks up to 27 and then starts to arch up to like 30 and then we held that and and like I feel like that weird drop is some kind mm -hmm. of like glitch that that messed with you on there yeah because it's just... not like we came from a stop like the segment starts at an intersection but we actually caught the light for once and so we didn't come from a dead stop we were just rolling through the intersection so there was no reason for there to be a drop like that no, yeah. Super strange. I didn't hit my even brakes. If, you know? Yeah, even if you weren't, say you weren't pedaling for a second, your, your speed wouldn't go down like that. It just, you wouldn't drop four miles an hour for no reason when there was nobody around. Like it, Yeah. I, well, I didn't look at my speed, if I have like a weird arc or anything. We had no reason to look at yours. But yeah. Yeah, also my heart rate monitor showed it dropped like 10 to 15 beep, uh, beats per minute. Like it, something was really weird right there. The end result is, even if I did KOM it, it was only going to be, like, really close. So, I just need to work a little harder, and uh, I need to beat it by two or three seconds. You didn't really earn it that time, so that's why you were Obviously. Strava was like, you didn't earn this shit. I'll just, you know, throw it out there. Yeah. No, I... I, I could have had it if I, if I wasn't wasting my work on you. That's fair. <laughs> I mean, to be real, last time we tried this, I led you out, and uh, I backed off, and I was only one second behind you as well. So, there's yeah. something with this segment that's super weird, but... It is weird that it stood for so long when it seems attainable. Oh, yeah. We're only two seconds behind it. Well, and you would think other people who are faster on flats oh, should yeah. be able to have taken it, and they haven't. I'm like, yeah. someone's like witch doctored up, you know, to throw a Diablo reference in there. Yeah. <laughs> this this uh, segment has yeah. just got something weird. It's true. You've got Diablo on the mind, man. Yeah. It's reaping souls. But as for the rest of the ride, I would yeah. say, yeah, I was feeling great. I was in... I was feeling great on the flats. I was not feeling as strong on the climbing, and maybe because I haven't been doing as much lately, or whatever reason. I mean, my times weren't terrible or anything, and it, some of them were still really, you know, good in comparison to my others, or hitting PRs or whatever. It just felt harder. Yeah. And maybe because we were pushing it harder in other sections, but I thought it was a really good day all around. And yeah, I thought it was a pretty good ride. Like we started out at like seven in the morning and we wanted to get out early because of the heat and we ended up doing around paradise valley again it's just a great spot to get climbing and it's beautiful that's why yeah. i want to get that video going because it's it's honestly just really pretty area yeah but yeah same thing i just felt really good i wasn't sure how i'd feel because i had not ridden that much and i had i think i rode on thursday so i was like oh, i might be a little sore because i did some intervals so i wasn't sure how that was going to affect me but I had really strong legs. Even on the climbs, I pushed myself pretty hard. And we did Castle 4, so that was a bunch of, you know, 15 percenters. And, you know, I actually got my heart rate up into the low to mid 180s, you know, yep. which usually I don't push myself that hard. And so I gave it some pretty strong efforts. And I got, you know, like 182, 183, 
you know, heart rate, which is pretty high for me. Good. Yeah. But yeah, overall, good ride. It's all you can do sometimes. Yeah. Still bummed, man. I felt really <laughs> good on that damn KOM, too, because I got to over 30 miles an hour, and I held it across where it ends and everything, and I'm pretty sure if I went back to my best time I have on that segment, I don't think I've ever been over 30 on it. Like, I think I, I put in a real dig, and like, it is really bizarre not to have the KOM, I think. Well, not to have... The most bizarre thing is you finishing ahead of me, yet I have a faster time. That's where it just, it seems off. That's fair. Yeah. I was right on the cusp, you know, with, with getting that KOM. Obviously, even with the time we said, it was still three seconds back or something. So we're really, really close. But apparently two seconds is a lot harder to get than it looks. It's a short segment, too. So yeah. it's hard to make up that time. Yeah, for sure. But no, I'm looking forward to um, getting it. I Not typically, I haven't felt ready I haven't had enough consistency in my riding and getting into three days a week to feel I'm really ready to even try to compete with some KOMs. And, you know, I was kind of surprised I felt so good, but still not good enough. Yeah, I'll have to pick out one to work on. I thought I did, you know, pretty good on that Dunlap one where I was 17, 20% in the big ring, just super suffering. And then still like 20 people back or something that's a that's, that's a hard one that road just gets worse and worse though that's the problem yeah well i was slipping at the top too because it's just all mashed up gravelly and pretty I brutal yeah well anyway good rides i'm looking forward to this week's ride of the week so i gotta plan something for the weekend anyway cycling news let's get down to that uh, there's a few things i wanted to touch base on uh, one of them is just, I don't really want to talk about it too much, but there was a really cool article I enjoyed on cyclingnews.com. They did a, they do this every once in a while. They interview a rider and they ask, you know, this one was Robert Hessink and it was his five races that changed his life. I just like the sort of personal stories of cyclists. It kind of adds another dimension, whether it's a rider you like or a rider you're on the fence about or you don't know much about. Yeah. And, and Robert Hessink would be someone I just don't know that much about. Um, obviously, I've seen him ride most of his career but it was cool to kind of to read the article anyway and so one thing i want to mention about it is that he comes across as like really likable and not like a snob or like upset because he never won enough races or something like he just seemed pretty like satisfied with his career and i, I just think that's pretty cool you just don't always see that you see people who are either disappointed because they didn't do enough or you know they're kind of unlikable because they're so they were so successful they were kind of snobby or whatever but he came across as like just really humble it was really neat yeah i think i don't know if we had talked a few weeks back or like a the lauren ten dam saying his name right but he's also just the same kind of he like got is doing like gravel racing now and mm -hmm. i don't know there was something about him just having barbecues and stuff for the team just anything like that where you're just like, all right, you seem just like a cool guy, like yeah. team player. And the same thing with, with Hessink where he had found, I'm not winning these races and it's okay to work for my team and I can get something out of that. Like you don't always have to be the number one guy um, and, and winning to feel good about doing work for your team. Yeah. Anyway, I just we're going to put a link in the show notes. I just think it's a cool article. It's super short, so not like it's going to take a lot of your time, but... Pretty neat. I'd like these sort of pieces where you get to go behind the scenes and just talk about the writers as they are, not necessarily what's, you know, they're up to or whatever. It's just kind of just to get a little bit into their brain and kind of see how they think, and it's you can learn a lot about them. 
yeah, probably too, you know, you, you watch these races and then you, you kind of want uh, a spotlight into what they were thinking during that time. Or if you start yeah. to know them more as a person, you're like, okay, I, I probably kind of get what they were what they were doing with that. Or... Yeah. Well, it's like we talked about. We'd love to have more of these Mobistar documentaries of teams exactly. recording throughout the year with interviews or just on the team bus or whatever. I think there's a lot of value in that system. Almost like, you know, the NFL has hard knocks. Like, have you ever seen the hard knocks? I've seen I've seen a little bit of it. Basically, the premise is it's a preseason, like, training camp. They record one team, HBO and NFL Films. And it's like, their entire training camp and up to through preseason, up to the season starter, you know, basically uh, the end of preseason. It's the whole thing recapped and it's like super dramatic, but it's like NFL film. So it's filmed really well, but also just makes you like root for that team that year. Yeah. Even if it's a team you don't like, it's just really cool to see. And what's great about it is like, it's not just about the sport. It's about the people. And so people who don't like the sport watch and enjoy hard knocks. That makes sense. It brings an element to the sport that brings people in. That's where, like, the drama comes into play and the kind of personal view. I was thinking, like, between, you know, we had already kind of covered this on the movie star stuff, but their different personality and characteristics and how that reflects them as a writer. And you're like, okay, if if things get, like, in a real gritty situation, probably uh, Carapaz is going to do better than... Landa, based on their personalities, where yeah. they're like, he, he just seems like he's gonna dig harder if if things if things go badly, where Landa might give up. Yeah, it was so funny. I was reading Reddit, and they were talking about the Movistar documentary, and that one guy had a completely different takeaway than me. He was like, "Oh, you know, Nairo looked awful in this documentary, and Landa looked great." And I was like, "I had the exact opposite." Yeah. I was like, you know. mm. I don't think so. So weird. Anyway, let's just keep talking about it and we'll bring it into it. We'll manifest it. We just need more of these behind the scenes movies and, and documentaries. Only good for the sport. Yeah, I agree. All right, last, uh, what, next big topic here before we get into our main meet. There is a rumored leaked world tour calendar uh, that came out over the weekend and it looks as good as you can get, really. I mean, uh, but basically, it's a shortened season, and they've tried to do as much as they could and added as many races as they could and give it some sort of flow and feel and narrative. Yeah, honestly, I don't think it's that bad. I would say it's probably the worst for people doing the Giro because if you were, say, a classics rider, there was plenty of buildup where you can go into Flanders, do the or, or not Flanders, Strade Bianchi, do Milan San Remo, do the Tour de France if you want, or switch to Torino Adriatico, and then then you can go and do um, Flanders and Robay, have your national championships. Like all of that's fine for you. Correct. So I I think the the worst is for the Giro because there's overlap with the with the Vuelta, and there's really not enough time to recover in between Tour de France and and Vuelta, or like if you're doing those. I think you could potentially do both of those. It would be a little harder because, I mean, you're not even getting a full, I guess maybe it's basically a month off between the two of those. My thought, though, of the worst of it, which is the most uncontrollable thing, is the weather October for oh, the yeah. Giro and, like, going into the 
the high mountains, I don't see that working at all. Yeah, I mean, so the way the calendar is sort of set up right now, the it's built as the centerpiece being the Tour de France, and that's going to be August 29th through September 20th. Some shitty day. Anyway, the uh, <laughs> um, otherwise known as your birthday. Yeah, I was like, it's my birthday. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, so before that, there's a couple races leading up to the Tour de France. So you have Tour of Poland and the Dauphiné, and then a few little, like a couple national championships, and a few, uh, you have Strade Bianchi, to start the season, and then Milan San Remo. So there's a few races to kind of gear up for the Tour de France. Obviously, if this schedule is ends up being relatively close to what happens, it's going to be a weird season regardless. But the real question is, do you do Torino Adriatica, or do you do the Tour de France? Because I want a Trident, dude. Oh, that yeah. fucking Trident is dope. This is a cool trophy, man. I, I mean, it would have been cooler if GVA didn't beat Sagan that one year. Sagan can't it. beat anybody. But yeah, so you have only a couple weeks off before the Giro starts at the beginning of October, and then the Vuelta starts at the end of October with like a week overlap with the Giro. So it's a, and then a lot of the meat of the classic season is during the Giro. Yeah, Flanders, Amstel Gold, Liège, Bastogne Liège, and then near the end of the Vuelta, like weeks later, you have Perry Bay, like two or three weeks after Flanders. So it's kind of a weird schedule. Get our rainy, maybe snowy Robay. Dude, snowy Robay would kind of be cool. That would just, yeah, that would wipe out all the years of the no rain if you had a snow one. Yeah, that would be awesome. But yeah, I don't know. I mean, at this point, I'll just like excited to get back to seeing races. And... Anything is fine for me. Yeah, and but I think the way this calendar is set up, and uh, we'll put some links in the show notes. You can find it, you know, it's on Cycling News. It has an actual sort of Excel file, so it's easier to see. Uh, one I read on Bella News was just dates, harder graphics, so much more important than just numbers. So it's true. That's why I think your videos are going to be great. But it has as bad as many races as you can reasonably fit in this calendar without being jam packed. Um, so I, I think it's as good as it's going to get. You're not going to make everyone happy. Well, you're not going to get all the smaller races and the build yeah. up. Like, yeah, it's just not possible anymore. Yeah. Mm -mm. But I think overall it's fine. I mean, it looks like a pretty decent calendar considering the circumstances and what they had to do. To fit in classics and all three Grand Tours is far and beyond, I think, of, of what anybody would have expected. Yeah, and then you have, what, the World Championships right after the Tour? So, yeah, it's a it's a it's just an amazing feat just to fit all this stuff in, and we'll see how much it... If this becomes reality and how far off, I don't think it would be that far off from what we're seeing here. You might see a few differences left or right of a certain date, but maybe one or two canceled, or because I think part of it's going to depend on the country too. Yeah. So. Yeah, anyway, I think it would be good. I think that's pretty exciting, but uh, we'll see. That was uh, interesting. But for the topic of the week, we wanted to start our team episodes. We wanted been waiting, to... dude. I've been waiting a long time. I think I it's know. just it's just really a good thing to do. It's it's a recap of last year. Talk a little bit about what we expect of this year. It's a little bit weird because we've already had part of a season, but um, I just think it's good to just refresh ourselves anyway with cycling coming up. Uh, we haven't really had a chance to go through all these, but just to kind of go back through and remind ourselves who's on these teams, what are their goals, and you know, not, not ready to talk about what they're going to do at specific events, but let's just kind of talk a little bit about them. So this week we wanted to start with uh, NTT Pro Cycling. And the reason I started with them is they were the worst World Tour team last year. So Really bad. Real bad. They were 24th, according to Pro Cycling Stats, which is below some Pro Continental teams. That's how bad they were. 
and then they actually were down three from 2018. So yeah, they did worse in 2019. They only had seven victories all last year and only one of them in the world tour, which was uh, Losenhagen, who you didn't even know was on the team. And he won the Criterion du Dauphiné. So that was I forget cool. names, dude. Yeah, well, I guess so. In 2018, they had won seven victories, but they had won two world tour uh, races with those being two grand tour stages. So definitely a slip back for them, but... Spoiler alert, we expect them to do a little bit better this year. Yeah, and kind of, you know, we were going with the team identity. They're kind of a slip through the cracks, stage race, um, or stage hunting yeah. kind of team. It just, it seemed for the last few years, none of their Grand Tour riders or any of that had really worked out. And I don't think they had an extreme focus in general, or maybe the focus was on the wrong thing. Yeah. Cavendish. Mm-hmm. Um, but key signings would definitely be Campanarts and uh, Posa Vivo this year. And losses, I don't know if you would call it that, uh, Cavendish, Eisel, uh, Lars Back, Mark Renshaw, uh, Steve, Steve Cummings, yep. Julian Vermont. And uh, key riders in general would be that they are currently on the team would be Campanarts, Bosenhagen, Kreuziger, uh, Louis Minkes, and Michael Valgren. And apparently Nozolo. Well, now now we know. Yeah. Nizzolo. Well, so I wrote these notes like before the season started, and uh, yeah, apparently uh, Nozolo has, has gotten offended by my notes. <laughs> had a great start to this year. He's written in. There's been just weeks of complaints from him. Oh, yeah. Every week. I'm like, come on, Nozolo. Uh, yeah, so personal opinion of the team. Yeah, I mean, obviously it's different now that I've seen them this year, but going back to last year, I, I just didn't like them. I didn't hate them. I just didn't like Cavendish. He was at the end of his career, in my opinion, and they built this team around him, and they just spent so much energy focused on him that it just took away from everyone else, it felt like to me. Yeah, it's one of those, I, I feel like it happens in lots of sports teams where there's a an aging writer and or an aging you know talent, and they put everything on him, and they're the guy's still not winning, but they're building this whole team around him still, and then you're not getting anything from it, and you're neglecting up-and-comers or building your team with up-and-comers and, and young talent, and it just it just tanks your team for years and years. Yeah. So I'm excited to see them kind of be reborn. Uh, they also have the best jersey. I was going to say, once you have the new jersey, that that's what really made it. Yeah, the NTT jersey, you know, it's one of those things where we kind of trashed it at first but seeing it live and watching it on races like it just looks really nice yeah in person you know because i you know they released new jerseys and everything for the year and they always have who's the best jersey this year and this and that and we didn't think it was going to be the best but the, just it's just different it, once yeah. it's on i don't know why yeah all right so main topics big big news for them this this season was uh bjorn reese joined the team as a part owner and now he's the team manager what uh that's a big deal for them. They have Victor Campanarts, and so he's sort of their main writer, and they have a team manager now that knows Grand Tours. Yeah, I think, I mean, we've seen, and, you know, we thought, though, beforehand, that that was going to be a big change to the team of of having that experience in there, and I, I think, I messed up the name the last time, but uh, Aldog, Aldig, Ralph Aldig? Yeah. Uh, him and Cavendish, I feel like there was some weird cohesive thing going on with the two of them sure. where now that both of them are out of the team it's going to make a lot of changes and so I think both pieces were actually 
kind of messing up the team. And, and now with him gone and a, and a new team manager, that yeah. that's going to make a big change, not just in Cavendish being gone, but the manager. Yeah, I think you're right, actually, with both of those. It's two big pieces that were such a large influence on the team. And as we saw, they had a bad season. And so bringing in new blood and a new writer, we thought it was going to have rising expectations for the team. And so, I mean, they've had a blazing start to the season that we had so far. So, yeah, it was whether it was whether it was Reese's influence or not, he's getting the credit. So I haven't honestly though, just as a quick thing, since we can look back a little bit, I feel like I didn't see too many stories just about him in general, like afterwards of him talking about the team or the team talking about him. Like it was all very quiet. Like they were winning and maybe that's all they needed were like we'll yeah. let our wins speak for us, you know, for ourselves. I imagine there's some sort of Omerta or something about not talking to him because he's passed and they try to maybe you know cycling has this thing where they like to pretend that people who did drugs just stopped existing like just don't talk about them well the, but like, they're still allowed to be on the teams and yeah. then other ones who like probably clearly did drugs and didn't get caught or said that they were sorry yeah they're fine to yeah you know to talk to again it's just it's weird yeah uh, whatever i don't care like he's a team manager now it's like him, if he wants to still dope, I'm sure he doesn't, but like it is what it is. Um, yeah, I haven't heard anything either. It just on, the own, on his own. Yeah, like, he just he dope just rides <laughs> yeah. so he could keep up with the team on train yeah, rides. Exactly. <laughs> uh, yeah, so my other thing I was interested in this season is I want to see what Bosenhagen does. Yeah, I don't know. It's We had kind of talked about, you know, is, is he going to get that tour sprint victory? And I think that the competition is just too heavily stacked on other teams just so many good sprinters yeah maybe you know he'll get a hard stage and you know like a, a an alaphilippe a sagan kind of yeah. stage like that and i don't know we hadn't seen enough so i don't know if he's changed his body a little bit to maybe be a little leaner or you just really didn't know what how he's coming into the season at all but yeah it was kind of tough because we only got to the very before the season really even got started. I mean, it was like the first couple weeks and then everything got canceled. So it's hard to make any judgments because usually he built up for bigger races down the road and some of the classics. So it will be interesting to see if he targets the tour. I mean, obviously we don't know anything that's going to happen this season. It's very weird, but uh, assuming, you know, there's some races going on, I, I still want to see what he does. I, I just like Eddie Bosenhagen. I always thought he had the potential to win more stages, but he kind of got caught going to Team Sky and getting sucked into domestique stuff. And so yeah, he's kind of lost the highlight of his career doing that. I will say on the flip side of that, of what we saw Campenarts racing, he looked awesome. He was putting in some crazy digs yeah. to keep up on climbs. I, I can't remember the races now, but just really putting in the work. He, he wasn't necessarily getting the wins, but he was putting in the work and keeping up with the climbers on on those types of stages and i think he was really looking at transforming his body mm -hmm. and later in the season season i think that was going to pay off yeah well yeah i think that was uh perry nice he was just mm. putting in a lot of work yeah it was cool to see him and like he was definitely like using those races appropriately and testing himself on a stage he wasn't looking to win but he was like i'm gonna put in a hard dig and see if i can maintain and how do I then go back and look at the data and how did I perform? How did I feel? And I think they're trying to see what his potential is and see if it's worth putting him in, yeah. you know, a tour, right? I don't think it was all going to happen this season regardless, just yeah. because 
he's going through a big change physically, mm -hmm. but still can later this season or next year. I think it's, I think there's big things to, to come from him. Yeah, no, definitely. Uh, as far as Mankey's, I think he's not going to be doing much this season. I just want him to be gone. Like, I don't know. Like, he was on the team, off the team when they, when he went over to Lamprey, Merida, when they were a team. And yeah, then I saw he was on UAE for a hot minute. Yeah. Because they bought out Lamprey Merida. It goes back into the same thing we're always talking about where these guys that are supposed to be pure climbers get dropped on the climbs by the, the new style of like TT climbers, like the, the Dumoulin, the Primos style. Dude, Primos, dude, it's a hard name to say. <laughs> but you would just think that, all right, like he's light, he should be a pure climber. I, aside from that one year, I, I forget it was maybe back... 2015 2014 or something where he had one good year he just really never had anything else after that yeah i agree uh well apologies to nizolo but we'll have to add him into our, our little notes here what do you expect from him going on at the rest of the season right that yeah that is just like a super unknown just because i had said that the sprint field is heavily stacked yeah but he looked up the top, and then some guys, like I would say Gaviria, for example, were in kind of an unknown place where they looked maybe like he was redeeming a little bit from last year's drop, but maybe he still wasn't on top level. And then, you know, a few of these other guys, you know, where were they going to be at? Sam Bennett still looked good, and Ackerman still looked good, but Nizolo yeah. looked like a whole different rider so mm -hmm. was, i don't know it was pretty awesome yeah he won a stage of the tour down under and then he won a stage of perry nice he got second in kearns brussels kearns like sixth in la Semine. like he was having a strong season well and it was against talent too i think yeah. it some of these times you they win these stages and they're little races or there's nobody else there yeah so he was winning tour down under is highly guy. competitive with sprinters and perry nice has a strong field i don't know about sprinters per se but yeah, Tour Down Under is, you know, he beat uh, Robbie McEwen, or not Robbie McEwen. <laughs> yeah, that guy's retired. From the, right? from the, from the commentating booth? Yeah. <laughs> he took him out. Caleb Ewan. Yeah. Uh, yeah. But, so, you know, there's actual, there's some pretty strong competition there. So, he looked, and he was winning, like, legitimately. Like, he was strong. Yeah. And then I think Kern, Russell Kern is, is kind of one of the, uh, like, sprinters classics that, the, of that time and he comes in second there so you know there was a good field as well so it's yeah it's pretty cool no he had a he had a really strong start and it's great to see i mean he's a young guy right i, I don't know how old he is he's he's 31 well older than i expected i guess but it's great to see him well he's on trek apparently that's why he didn't win anything yeah i forgot about that he wasted several years there almost his entire career <laughs> yeah sorry dude you really <laughs> fucked up <laughs> love trek but man they can't develop riders they got those shit bikes, dude. <laughs> <laughs> that hurts. Uh, yeah, one last thing on this. We wanted to talk about young riders. So for me, this is riders that were under 23. And for me, it's nice because I, it's like I made this comment before another time. Like It's like college football versus the NFL or something. I don't know the college players yeah. coming into the new sport, right? I have to kind of just base it off of like what people are saying at the draft or whatever or talking to people. But... So I wanted to kind of focus a little bit on young riders, and so there's two that kind of caught my eye on this team. 
Samuel Battistella. He won the under-23 world championships. He also won Tour de Lempipo, which is a small race, and then he also won the Baby Giro. So it kind of seems like he has some strong potential. So it'll be interesting to see how he does um, this season, how he's being utilized right now. It looks like he's just kind of getting his legs. He's been in a few stages, a few different races, but nothing, like he's not getting close to victory. He's just kind of learning yeah. the ropes, which is to be expected. He's 21. And then the other guy was Andreas Stopro, 22. He won the under 23 uh, Flanders. Yeah, it seems, I don't know, not every team has this amount of talent coming in just based on their results. But I don't know. I think they'll be really interesting to see what they, they both do. Yeah. It's just names to kind of familiarize yourself with. If you hear them, if you, you know, just these young guys are going to be the next generation of cycling. And so they're going to be commonplace names, whether they're great domestiques or whether they're winners or whatever. I still think it's, there's a lot of potential just to keep an eye out on. For sure. Well, I think this is an easy one. It is. Better or worse than 2019. Yeah, I mean, even <laughs> when we were... We've, so we kind of talked about this back in you know February, January. Like We already thought they were going to do better. Yeah. And one of the things we had written down was you know we had to guess how many wins they were going to have. World Tour wins. Yeah. Over last year, or just in general. So last year they had one. And I, I said three. And I said four. And I still feel fine with that. Um, Mizzolo already has two, so we're already halfway there <laughs> yeah. uh, for you. So they're likely to beat that by by. It wouldn't be surprised to see them get five or six at this point. Even with the short calendar, I feel like they're going to still get it based on how how they've been riding. So. Yeah, as long you know, obviously we don't know what's going to happen with form, but yeah, I feel like their energy and their enthusiasm is just hot, sky high from the way their season started. Yeah, I I don't see that diminishing so much because they're still going to come in and be like, hey, we're still. A much better team than okay. we were last year. Well, the reality is they were worse than every other World Tour team and some pro cycling teams. So, bottom of the barrel. So it's really hard to not say they're going to do better. There's a matter of certain amount of pride these riders have. Like they're like we had a shit season and we, and of course it's all Cavendish's fault, you know. But now they have a chance with open reins. Look what they've done already. Yeah, I love blaming Cavendish for as much as possible. <laughs> I enjoy it too. <laughs> the only thing I can say in Cavendish's defense is I'm bummed that he never won the most stages in the Tour de France. He really had the potential to do it, but... He's still got time, you know. I yeah. believe in him. <laughs> yeah, Good luck, man. Oh, but yeah, that wraps up our first sort of uh, team episode. That's pretty exciting. Yeah, I was thinking when you were like talking about like the, the pro-conti teams, like... We are going to have to totally revamp the Arkea Samsic one after the way Dude. our expectations and how they, they are playing out. That's what's exciting. It would have been more cool. fun to record them because we would have been way wrong, but it doesn't matter. I just think it's just important to talk about the teams. Yeah, just to get a feel of what kind of team that their style is. and Because when, when you see, I think the big thing is when you see a team like Ineos and they're winning all the Grand Tours... And maybe you don't watch all the races. You just watch the Grand Tours and you're like, oh, that's far and away the best team. But it's other teams target different style. Of race. There's a classics yeah. team and there's sprinter teams where that's their target. So then if you can learn a little bit about each team and what their focus is, you're like, okay, this is what they focus on. And if they accomplish that, then you're like, that's, that's what they set out to do. So if they're yeah. not winning all these other things, you know, if they don't have a guy on the Tour de France podium... Maybe that wasn't really their goal, and or wasn't a possibility for them. So yeah. it's not really a loss if they're not 
accomplishing that. Yeah. Well, I think for me, the other thing with the team episodes is if you're a new listener or you're new to cycling, you don't always get to know, you know, how do you learn about these teams and how do you learn what their styles are, what they're targeting. You know, it's very confusing to start watching. Like, it took me easily a year of watching to, like, really start getting the different teams and what they're targeting and how all that stuff works. There's so much to cycling. It's it's One changes, too. Like, you know, we'll, we'll cover all these, but, like, Movistar, like, 100% different team this year than they were last year of just the rider composition. Yeah. And so you're like, well, why aren't they, you know, say they don't, aren't up there in the Grand Tours now. And they're like, well, why aren't they were always up there? What happened? And then you see the riders, the key losses, and you're like, oh, okay, now I get it. You know, yeah. Everyone's gone that was on there. Exactly. So No, it's lots to look forward to. Yeah. So next week we'll be covering the CCC team. It'll be an interesting one. Or the bank, bank, bankrupt team. Yeah. It sounds like they're <laughs> oh, not going to make yeah. it. But we'll see. Nonetheless, I'm still giving them a team episode. Eh, we got time. That's right. Until then, see ya. See ya.